fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 270 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by two wonderful guests this evening. First of all, you can see her. She's Gina Kelly at Gina Thomas here. Uh, we're going to say from the mystical world of takes. I think that was what we were going with uh, yes. in the pre-show. I love I love it. It's like a, a very ethereal look uh, for Gina tonight. Uh, very into it. Gina, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're happy to have you here for this very uh, busy episode since I since I took the week off, apparently at the worst possible time, given all the stuff that has <laughs> happened. But, you know, we can't predict this a year out. Uh, so maybe the best possible time for my workload. But, um, yeah, we also have, of course, with us Jordan Watkins. He's at Big 75. Fella, Jordan, how are we doing? I don't think you've ever been as close to being uh, Mr. Orla- D. Orlando Ledbetter as you were uh, this past week, you know, he missed that first week of training camp because yep. he had the pre-planned trip. And now here you are missing when we're firing coaches and whatnot because you're on a trip. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, luckily, uh, whoever's been fining people for missing, uh, you know, missing training camp uh, press conferences and other press conferences doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue anymore. But I don't know. I mean, depending on the new coach, you know, if it's Belichick, I might I might get an even heftier fine. Uh you know, we'll see what happens uh, with that. But guys, welcome in to the show. Appreciate everyone for hanging out with us tonight here on the Falcoholic Live. Uh, we're going to be talking, of course, about the end of the season, the third straight, seven and ten finish, the third straight, eighth overall pick. That is an NFL hist- historic NFL moment. There, uh, also, it's never happened before for any pick, I believe, not just the eighth overall pick. But um, we'll talk about all that. Obviously, we'll talk about Falcons choosing to move on from Arthur Smith seemingly choosing to hold on to some other coaches, at least at this moment. And then, of course, we will be getting to the coaching search, which is, of course, I I know everyone's biggest topic and what we're going to probably spend the majority of the show talking about. But uh, thanks to everyone for hanging out this night. Appreciate your patience while I was uh, taking a little vacay there at the end of the season. Get some space from this terrible, terrible football team. Uh, But now, you know, hope springs eternal once again, maybe, depending on who the coaching hire is. And before we dive in to all of that stuff, folks, want to bring you a quick word from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Folks, with the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, BetOnline has you covered with all the -the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores that you need. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile access, you can get the world's best wagering information anytime at your fingertips. So no matter what you're betting on, and again, now the Falcons are no longer an option. So you can't even make poor decisions like I have been making all year uh, by betting on the Falcons. But you can make poor decisions on betting on the playoff teams or NBA. Uh, I know that's a lot of people are here are Hawks fans. I'm sure Adnan would, if Adnan was a betting man, which he's not, he would probably advise you not to bet on the Hawks uh, either. So, you know, our Atlanta sports teams are all are crushing our hearts this year. But no matter what you want to do, guys, head to betonline.ag today to get in on the action and see all those updated odds. Just remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right. Well, Gina, I know we talked uh, sort of offline about kind of the emotions when a coach does get fired when you've actually interacted with them, which this was a new thing for me this year, obviously, uh, yeah. actually getting to spend three you know, seasons with Arthur Smith and then getting to know him a little bit. And it, it, it carries a different weight. And it, it starts to be when you, people talk about firing a guy, you're like, oh, I know who that is now. And that's not you don't demonize them to the same way you do when you're a fan just looking at someone on a screen who's just your, your mortal enemy in, in football, you know. Um, 
Yeah. So it's 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 tough whenever you see a coach let go, but that is what happens for the Falcons with Arthur Smith uh, falling to seven and ten and and losing obviously in the way that you just can't <laughs> when your job's on the line, getting blown out by the Saints in the last game of the season. Uh, did you think that was the right decision? How, how are you feeling about the Falcons' uh, decision to move on from Arthur Smith? You know, I, I keep coming back to the fact that I really just wish that he would have worked out as well as I expected him to because, you know, I really was impressed by his body of work in Tennessee. And I really did think that he was going to come in here. And finally, Matt Ryan was going to get to work with an offensive minded head coach. And I don't believe it's Arthur Smith's fault that the Matt Ryan era ended a little bit sooner than we all expected it to. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it was the right decision. I wish that it had never come to this. I wish that he just, after the first two years, I just wish that we would have seen more progress this year. Um, you know, really in spite of the quarterback position. So yeah, I'm sorry it didn't work out better. That's that's my main thought about it, but it was the right call. Yeah, and, and that's definitely something I want to get in, into as well. And that sort of bleeds into sort of the future conversation too, which is that I think the process to hire Arthur Smith was correct. That was the right move, but it didn't have the right result. And that's sometimes what happens. You know, if you play fantasy football, you understand this very, very uh, well because you can make the right choices and play the right players and the guys that should make sense. But then stuff happens and it doesn't work out the way you want. You don't necessarily, even if you make the right decisions, the right process, it doesn't always give you the winning result. And that's part of why football is so fun to watch and it's fun to interact with because there is this inherent level of randomness and good, bad luck plays into it, you know, situation, all this stuff. Um, and you know, you have to think some of that obviously played a part, like you said with Matt Ryan, but definitely, uh, was pulling for Arthur Smith. I mean, I was one of his biggest fans. I think I was all over the hire from the beginning. Like this is the guy I want. And people have definitely made it clear, you know, to rub my nose in it. Now, when I say, I want this guy, they're like, Oh, well you wanted Arthur Smith. It's like, yeah, I'd, I'd do it again. You know, I think it was the right call. It's just the wrong result. So, yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that we were all pretty much over the moon that they were able to land Smith. And um, yeah, and I, we certainly did see some strides this year on the others on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so, you know, there there were some encouraging things to come out of this season, but the offense just was so problematic. Um, I don't, I don't think that they, I don't think that there was another decision to make. I just don't think that it's realistic in the NFL that a coach would stick around after a season like this. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, blank stays consistent. This was, he's never held on to a coach for three straight losing seasons, three straight seasons with no playoffs. Uh, and, and he, he stuck to that. And I know, uh, Jordan, you and I were talking about that as well. And, you know, we've pre we've made our preferences clear, I think, uh, on this program over the over the last at least four or five games, especially that, uh, you know, we felt it was time to move on. But now that it's actually happened, uh, do, you, do you feel still the same way that you did that, that you think it was the right call? It definitely was. Um, and I, I think that there are a lot of reasons as to why it was right. Uh, and part, you know, y'all y'all kind of talked about it already. You look at the improvements of what happened on defense. And it's like, okay, those happen now. Why did that happen? It's not like you had a head coach that was a defensive-minded guy, right? And you think about how on offense, um, like, yes, I get it. You know, quarterback play itself, like even if we were taking away scheme and this and that, it wasn't enough. No matter if you had Ritter in there, turning the ball over, Heineke in there, turning the ball over, 
it wasn't enough. But one thing I thought was that was really shocking and telling, though, from the, from the offense situation was the run efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that you could not you, – you spend this prize pick on a, on a running back that's supposed to be your home run hitter, and you don't run the ball as well as you did the year before, right, when it's Cordero Patterson, Avery Williams, Caleb Huntley, and Tyler Algier. So that that was really telling and interesting to me, especially from someone, again, that's what you hang your head on. You're the offensive line guy. You know, a lot of what we brought you in for is because of the things that you made work with Derrick Henry in Tennessee. And then, of course, going off the play action game with that to make things work. And it just wasn't there, um, you know, uh, but also I think that in a weird way. And I, I mean, I couldn't have I don't think Hollywood could have written this up any better way, different way, however you want to put it. The way the Saints game ended, being the fact that, you know, that was his last game, did that not just feel somewhat, not poetic, but like, it's like, of course, that's how you're going to go out. You know, like there, there's this whole situation, like, it's like I said, I felt like your biggest, your biggest rival, they don't respect you. And again, I say that from the standpoint of it wasn't even the fact that they did the play that they did. Listen to the answer that Jameis gave you after the game, right? Like, you're already down 41-17 or whatever it was. Like, what, what's seven more points going to do? Like, if, if I were to hear that as a player, I like it's like, okay, when, when do we play them next week? Does, I mean, right. next season, is the schedule already out? I'm, I'm ready to go already. And I know you don't have to do that because it's the Saints. Like, you're already looking for that for that matchup. But, no, that, that, that's straight-up disrespect. They don't respect you. Um, and the fact that he goes out that way, it just felt this kind of, it was just like, this, 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 this has to be the way. Um, I do want to say this though, because I think both of y'all did a good job of hitting on this too. Again, at the end of the day, that is a human. Uh, at the end of the day, look, he's a Falcons head coach. Arthur Smith was Falcons head coach. Even if you did like him, didn't like him, you still, I would hope that you wanted him to succeed because he is the Falcons head coach, right? Like, I could disagree with a lot of stuff that Arthur Smith does. I want him to do well because if he does well, the Falcons are winning. Um, now, again, you know, like I had to go through the personal side too because remember Dan Quinn was my head coach when I was at Ricky Minicamp. You know, he was the one that was because he, he has the D-line background right back from when he played in college. He was sitting in our meeting rooms. I like would interact with him one-on-one for those days. So, of course, I wanted to see him do well and I wanted to make sure he could stay there and, and all those things because I got to know them. So again, to y'all's point, like it is, it does suck when you get to know someone and then they they have to move on for for whatever reason may be. But um, yeah, I mean, like we all said though, it, it was the right decision. Now the big question is, can they make the right decision again? Yeah, that's that's the key. And you know, and, and I think we made we we all did a pretty good job on this program making it clear that. This isn't some personal vendetta against Smith. And I know fans, they do take it personally, right? I mean, and, and when you when you invest so much of your energy in the team and it doesn't go well, you know, you tend to demonize the people that you think are to blame. And Arthur Smith certainly was to blame for at least some of the issues. There's no question there. But uh, for us, you know, it wasn't really a personal thing. It never really is. It's, it's a business thing. We want the Falcons to be better. We don't want to fire Arthur Smith because we want you know, to see him <laughs> fired, like we want the team to get better. And that's sort of the story at the end of the day. And you feel bad, obviously, for Smith and any of these assistant coaches that are likely to be let go, you know, um, and we'll see which of those coaches end up going or not. At this point, it does seem like the Falcons are trying to hold on to many of the assistants, you know, most notably Ryan Nielsen, Marquise Williams, and Dwayne Ledford, offensive line coach. Those guys have all been blocked from lateral interviews. 
Again, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're planning to keep all of them, but I think they want to at least give the new coach, whoever that is, the option to come in and, and keep part of the staff intact. And I think that's it, it. It's not exactly the best thing for those coaches, if especially if they do end up getting let go. But it certainly is the best move for the team because Dwayne Ledford, I think we all like a lot as the offensive line coach. Obviously, we're high on Ryan Nielsen, even though the, the end of the season isn't exactly what you want. Um, and then Marquise Williams, you know, I think this year the special teams did struggle um, more, especially the return game, but they lost their their punt returner, who was one of the best in the NFL, you know, in the preseason. So it's hard to, to get around that. They didn't really seem to have much of a plan B there. Um, but, you know, it, I, I think it's a good idea to hold on to your, your coaches that you like, the, the coaches that are high-end guys, and, and especially if they do end up going, you know, in the offensive direction again, I know some people disagree, but I, I do think keeping a defensive staff that has worked together and is basically ready to go intact for an offensive specialized head coach makes a ton of sense because typically offensive coaches, they especially the younger coordinators, they don't necessarily have this deep bench of defensive coaches they know at this stage. I mean, I'm sure they know some guys, obviously, but um they they know how to they know their offensive staff they have a, a a deeper bench of those offensive guys but the defense less so and so giving them a ready made defensive staff that's experienced that's comfortable with what's here I think that makes a ton of sense but um, that does definitely bleed into our conversation about the coaching search which of course is is big and and I know we have some donations coming in about the coaching search so we'll definitely get to those as we sort of get. Um, to to some of the, the relevant topics that these donations are about uh don't worry guys i do see those and um thank you everyone for donating by the way um for the senior bowl travel fundraiser it helps a lot uh like i uh, i've mentioned it on twitter but yes i have been approved to go i have my flight i have my hotel we're all set you guys are going to be getting the senior bowl takes so strap in uh for that and and we'll bring you that at the end of the month um but yeah i mean we we've heard a lot that it was an interesting start to the week because Arthur Smith was fired at 12.01 on Black Monday, which that does seem to be a little bit uh, maybe personal there. A little bit of a, we're going to be the first team to announce our firing. It was maybe a little bit weird, but. Um, I have a very quick, just a, yeah, a yeah. theory here. So um, Adam Schefter is the one who broke the news at 12.01. I suspect that Arthur Smith let or Arthur Smith's agent let yeah. him know so that Arthur Smith could let the world know, hey, I'm available. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the team had to go ahead and confirm it. You can't yeah. shrug off a shocker report, even though sometimes I would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, that's my theory is that Arthur Smith wanted the world to know that he is available for any uh any opportunities. And so I and I I get that. I respect that. So yeah. No, that that's a very insightful. I think I definitely think you're onto something because that's not really blank style. Uh, he's actually typically been very respectful of the coaches. Well, on the way out, um, doesn't typically do things like that. So yeah, I think I think you're probably on point with that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so very quiet start to the week. The Falcons were kind of the last of the teams with the openings to put out their interview requests. Um, it seems like none, they didn't really start submitting any until Thursday, which again, doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I, I did find it interesting that they didn't submit anything until after Bill Belichick was announced to be leaving the Patriots. And, and that's going to lead us to our first topic of conversation, which is all the reporting that the Falcons are 
hot and heavy for Bill Belichick, uh, which to me just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. But uh, Gene, I'm curious, what do you think about the the man himself, that the devil incarnate, you know, uh, Darth Hoodie, Bill Belichick coming to Atlanta uh, to coach this Falcons team? Well, I hate it, um, but maybe not for the reasons that everybody thinks. Um, I hate it because I do not miss a Patriots game. I watch as much of the Patriots as I do the Falcons because my husband is a Patriots fan. Um, so I haven't missed a game in the past three years. They have been when I, I I mean, like they were worse than the Falcons this year. They were harder to watch than the Falcons this year. Take those poorly timed turnovers and multiply it by like a billion and then make them slightly more embarrassing. And that was the Patriots for especially this past season. Um, the other thing is his drafting um, in the past mm. several years, especially has been really questionable. Um, and Keel Harry is a guy that I always go back to, like he really reached for him. It didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, fans hated the pick analysts hated the pick and everybody but Bill Belichick was right about it um and he's also in my opinion shown an unwillingness to um to kind of grow his strategy as the game evolves um I I think that he's really entrenched in his way of doing things which worked for a very long time obviously but um you know Mike Smith I think was a really excellent coach but I always felt like he was very stuck in his era of football yeah. you know what i mean and and he was just not either either unwilling or unable to you know adapt to to the league as it evolved and so i'm concerned about that and then just like some of his decisions like making matt patricia the offensive coordinator uh that was one of the dumbest things that i have ever seen and they were such a bad offense as a result that in and of itself makes me question Bill Belichick's judgment to the point that I'm very concerned. Um, now, a lot of those concerns would be resolved if he doesn't have um, full control over all personnel decisions. I really think that Terry Fontenot has done a great job, especially with the cap and for agency. And so if Terry is going to stay in the same role and Bill Belichick is not the only person making those decisions. I could be talked into hating it less. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand on Bill Belichick. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And I, I think I echo a lot of the same concerns you have about Belichick. And, you know, I I would hope that if they were considering hiring him, they'd be like, look, we know you're on the way out, so we're not comfortable giving you total control. We We need to, like, have a succession plan. We need, you know probably you need to stop just working with the like three or four guys that you always work with. Cause we need to get some, some new blood in here. Um, and we need you to work with Terry Fontenot to build this team out. And, and if all of those things happen, then it's, it's, you know, Bill, Bill Belichick's a great game day coach. He's a tremendous defensive coach. Um, still absolutely one of the best in the league at those things. He's not an offensive coach. He never really has been. Um, you know, he's obviously, very tactical, very smart about the game. And I know Brady has said he's been instrumental in, in his development, you know, and it, defensive coaches can bring a lot to developing a quarterback because they can tell them exactly what the defense is thinking, what the defense is looking for and all that stuff. His experience is great. Like I, I have no problem with Belichick, the coach. I think he's a tremendous coach, easily one of the best, if not the best of all time in that arena. Belichick, the personnel man is very different from Belichick, the coach and having Tom Brady, 
covered up a lot of problems with their drafting. Um, and it, the good news was that Belichick loved comp picks and loved to stockpile picks and trade back and all of these things. And that gave them a lot of shots, you know, a lot of ammunition so they could afford to miss more and more. But uh, it was definitely a sketchier operation than you would expect. But Jordan, I'm curious uh, your thoughts on, on, on Belichick coming here. And do you sort of feel the same way about, about that stuff Thanks. or what, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way and, uh, for a lot of reasons that, that have already been mentioned, but I have a couple more too. Um, <clears throat> one being, you know, when, when you have somebody that's been, and they've had it a certain way for so long, how do you all of a sudden expect them to change? Right. So look, Bill Belichick has been de facto GM and head coach for what, 20 plus years now in New England. So we just all of a sudden expect that he's going to come down to Atlanta and be cool with just being a head coach and not having certain say so and control over player personnel and things like that. I just I, I don't see it happening. Like I would be very shocked if that was the case. And the reason why I say it is he can say everything he wanted in an interview or actually let me let me let me flip that. Because if Bill Belichick comes into the office, you're not interviewing him. Bill Belichick's interviewing you. Like that, that, that's how that goes. He's earned that, right? Like six Super Bowls, X amount of wins away from, from Shula. He he's earned that right. Um, and so look, everyone has these questions about how exactly are things organized in Atlanta? Who has the say? So where's Terry Font? No, is it Rich McKay? Like who's really running things around here? Well, the thing is if Bill Belichick comes in and again he can say like okay this is how y'all run it this is cool i'm with it let's just say this doesn't start off the way he wants it to guess who then's going to want to resort back to the way he's been used to be having things run for the whole time he's been coaching and he's had a successful tenure while coaching it's going to be bill belichick that's going to be a clash i just I, I don't see that changing um and you know gina funny enough you were you were talking about the uh Nikhil harry situation so it's also pretty interesting i was reading a report about that so um you know aj brown and Debo samuel they were kind of going to meetings and whatnot together and of course they're a little bit more loose like to have fun and so apparently bill belichick took that as they didn't take it seriously so he's just like i don't i don't want him so Nikhil harry comes in he's like you know about business yada yada and so that's where the whole infatuation of the kill Harry came from. Cause the scouts were saying you want one of those two. He's mm -hmm. saying, uh, uh, I want, uh, we're going him. Um, and you know, it's just kind of, okay, let's sit there and think about it. Y'all is that really the energy mentality that you want? Because even this year for the Falcons, like what was so awesome about the defense, see how much fun they had, mm -hmm. right? They celebrate all the wins, um, fourth down stops, people running all the field, going crazy, the celebrations. Now you're going to bring in some guy like the Patriot way is not going to fit in Atlanta. It no. just, it just would not. Um, and, you know, I, I get it. It's crazy. A lot of people are just like, well, who was Atlanta? Who's a Falcons fan to talk down on a six time Super Bowl champ? Well, it's, this is not, I don't think that's really the same thing anymore. Plus, look, I really do think what the Falcons are looking for and what they want, they don't want to be doing another coaching change and coaching search in like, let's just say three years. Because again, you look at, some of the other coaches that have just retired or stepped out of coaching, right? Nick Saban, 72. Pete Carroll, 71. Bill Belichick's right there at 72. So who knows how long he's really going to do this. So, like, again, it's a question of do we want to really be back in a coaching search once again in just a short time? And I think the answer is no. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, it it's a short-term thing. It's probably a three-year type of situation for 
Belichick, um, you know, obviously he's looking to break the wins record. Um, you know, he only, I believe he needs 16 wins to break the record. And that could be something he achieves in one year, if it's a tremendous year. More likely to be at least two, but possibly three, you know, uh, depending on, on what happens. But, you know, I, I the, the thing with Belichick, and it's not an age thing. Like, it's not like, oh, he's old, he can't change. That's not it. It's that he's had so much success doing things a certain way. And when you've done things a certain way for 20 plus years, and you've won six championships doing it, why would you change? You know, wh- why, who could convince you to change? Um, and should you change even? You know, probably not. Um, so it, it's it's difficult for me to believe that Belichick would be willing to actually make any significant changes to his style, to personnel control and all this. And even if he agreed to it, how many losses is it going to take before he claws it back? Because, you know, if things start to go bad, he's going to start going back to what he knows. Um, and that's a natural human tendency. It's not like a Belichick thing. It's, you know, now he is known as one of the most controlling figures in the NFL in terms of how he wants control of the team. So that probably makes it a little bit uh, even more intense there. But you add up all the factors that this is a a team that's probably needing to draft a rookie quarterback and and start over there. Um, You know, it doesn't seem like that would fit the Belichick timeline. It seems like he would need to go get a veteran that he feels like can win now. Because again, we're looking at like a three-year clock here. Um, So that doesn't seem to fit. Obviously, the Patriot way... It, it appeals to a certain type of player, but not that many types of player. And that's why the, the Patriots have had basically the same guys come through over and over again. And when those guys leave New England, they don't always succeed. At the same time, you'll see guys that go into New England and, and don't work there. And then they leave and, and succeed elsewhere. So it's, it's a very specific system, a very specific style that appeals to a certain type of player, a certain type of coach. And I don't, and the Falcons, they're not built to be that at this point. And it's going to cause a mass exodus. It's going to be a complete reshaping of the team, the coaching staff, the roster, all that. Uh, and I think doing all that for a three-year coaching hire doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think it's a poor, short-sighted decision, and it, it it doesn't really check any of the boxes. And nothing against Bill Belichick, the coach. I still think he's tremendous there. I just don't, I think it's a bad fit for this team, this situation. Um, which is why I think we're all kind of saying the same thing that this is kind of doesn't seem to fit where the Falcons are, what they need at this stage, because honestly, like I I think what they were doing with Arthur Smith and Fontenot was the right path. It didn't result in the wins this third year, but I think the, the path was the correct path. And I think what you should do is, is go back. Like don't, don't stop the plan because one aspect of the plan didn't work or two aspects didn't work. You know, Desmond Ritter, the cheap quarterback route didn't work, and the head coach didn't work. You don't have to blow up the whole plan. You just make changes and, and fix that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I guess I would wonder now that we've sort of said the guy that's been most linked to Atlanta, Bill Belichick, is not who we want. Gina, who do you want? Or what type of coach do you want in this scenario? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's the thing. I don't even know. I, I don't even know what I want for this team. And I, I think that maybe I just have a level of concern that, you know, the brain trust with the Falcons uh, won't get this right. And so 
I don't know. I've had a hard time really settling in on any candidate. We talked um, in the Falcoholic, you know, group chat the other day about uh, Raheem Morris, and he's somebody that I got to know when he was with Falcons and someone I think is a tremendous coach. Um, I thought that Dan Quinn was losing his mind when he made him wide receivers coach in Atlanta, but he actually brought great insight from the other side of the ball to that group. Um, Roddy White, who speaks his mind um, all the time. He loves him. And uh, yeah, so Raheem is somebody that I would definitely be excited about that hire. Um, yeah, I guess that I, I will just leave it there. He, he would be, he would be my favorite candidate. So I think there's no chance that the Falcons hire him. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of fans are like, Oh, he doesn't have, the, he doesn't have a great head coaching record. And like he was four and seven when he, when he was Atlanta's head coach, he was an interim coach in a lost season. So I, I'm not going to hold a record against the man for filling in for half a season for Dan Quinn, who was fired. I mean, I, I don't think that's really fair. Um, to really hold that against him, you know, and I agree. I, I do like Raheem Morris. He's definitely in my top three because I, I think, I think it's valuable when you find a guy that has tried and failed, uh, you know, and, and hasn't disappeared. Um, so he, he's kept coming. He's kept doing, you know, what he needs to do to continue growing as a coach. He's worked on both sides of the ball. He has a tremendous rapport with the players. He's worked and succeeded on many different coaching staffs. And, and to me, those are all the trademarks of a guy who is ready for another chance to be a head coach, is really well-respected. And, and not only that, like he, he knows so many people. He will have no problem building a staff. He'll, he has a deep list of contacts that he can draw upon. Um, and again, a lot of people are saying, well, we've we've tried and failed with a lot of sort of first-time head coaches. Well, there you go. He's not a first-time head coach. He's done this before. He's had that experience and has been able to to find success in, in a lot of different roles. He's not the sexy name. The Falcons typically don't go for the sexy name. Um, so I, I do think there's a chance there because, again, he has the history here. A lot, so Some of these players still know him, obviously. Um, and I do think getting a coach that is experienced on both sides of the ball to be your head coach is never a bad idea. Um but uh, yeah, Jordan, I'm curious what you think about about Raheem, and do you have a, a personal preference uh, among the names that are out there right now for the Falcons? Uh, I mean, I, like, don't get me wrong, I do love Raheem. I, I think there was something interesting. I still remember from um, when he took over his interim. There was this article that came. I think Jeff Schultz might have done it, and he was just talking about how you know Raheem he wasn't he wasn't ready when he was at Tampa Bay, right? Like, still so many things he had to learn, some ups and downs he had to go through. Uh, to really understand, you know, the importance and what it was is to be to be a head coach. But then we all saw how things went when he was the interim. And, and I get I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, that was an interim thing. But we have seen like there's a reason why, you know, if you're even if you're not a Raiders fan, you're saying there's y'all need to keep Antonio Pierce. You know, like, you, you, like it, it just it was different. Right. They they had, I think, the best scoring defense since he took over. You saw the players kind of really got around him and how their play was different and again there were just certain head coach game flow game plan decisions from Raheem that I had questions about um you know when he was the interim and so you know maybe those don't happen again but it's just hard like if you're really trying to get this right and of course I do think Arthur and, and Rich they are trying to get it right at least I hope so um 
instead of getting what they want, I hope they get it right, is that that is something, unfortunately, for Raheem that they can hold against him. Um, right now, the way I'm thinking is, you know, I get the whole thing about, uh, I, I'm trying to find like that mix right now mm-hmm. for for the Falcons. I'm saying that in terms of, okay, we get it. All the first year head coaches or first time head coaches that we've had. Well, again, if we remember for one head coach, it's one bad fourth quarter against San Francisco and a Harry Douglas trip when he's wide open in, the, in that fourth quarter from, from that not being a failure. Um, there's another one where you're one fourth quarter and also a need interception that gets caught by Torrey Smith from that also not being a death. So it's not as bad as it always you know came to look and be. But if they do want to switch, and I do think Arthur wants to get like a kind of like a big splash, um, I think you can get the mix of experience and splash. I think Jim Harbaugh is the fit. Um, I just think that, you know, a person that you look at what San Francisco was before he got there. And you look at what San Francisco was once he got there. Uh, I can even take it back to my alma mater. You know, look at Stanford was before he got there. Look what Stanford was when he got there. And then, of course, we continued success when um, David Shaw was there. Look at what the turnaround he had to do with Michigan. Because remember, I think during or after that COVID year, there were a lot of rumors that he was about to get out of there. And he had switched things up, which I think is something that's so impressive that he doesn't get credit for is like, if he needs to delegate play calling, like, Hey, I need an OC to run this. I need a DC to run this. He has, um, he's turned that page and let that happen. Right. That's a big reason why Michigan had the success that they did this year. So also just someone that can be a leader, but also at least has a little bit of a sense of, um, of, of self-knowledge and self-awareness of like, Hey, I need to change this up, change that up. Uh, I just think he fits all of the boxes in terms of what they look. It's a splashy name, big name. It's a coach that has experience, but again, he's not, but he's not 72 to where I don't think that after three years, he's going to want to stop coaching. Um, yeah. So I, I, I feel like that would make the combination of everything would make the most sense. Yeah, I know. I know Gina's probably roiling uh, <laughs> with the mention of Jim Harbaugh coming to Atlanta. Uh, well, and now there is again, maybe not for the reasons you think. Do I hate him because he is Michigan's head coach? Very much so. But um, if you'll think back to Ohio State's tattoo gate scandal, um, Trestle left and he got a position with the Colts, but the NFL imposed his suspension and. Even though Harbaugh has already been suspended by the Big Ten, I fully expect when the NCAA investigation is finished, because this thing is, it's pretty bad. The sign stealing thing, like the the yeah, breadth and very scope widespread. of it. Yeah, yeah. He is going to serve another suspension. And I, 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 I hate to say it. I think that all of your points are really good about him. And he probably is the strongest candidate, the, the guy who would come in and be most prepared to have sustained success because I don't think Arthur blank even wants immediate success at this point, but he wants to, you know, see improvement and then have sustained success. Jim Harbaugh could do that. But I do think that the fact that he might be facing a hefty suspension is going to probably keep him at uh, Michigan for now. And I think that he stands to lose an outrageous amount of money if he gets out of his contract early. 
So after next year is when I really do expect Harbaugh to be ready to go back to the NFL. That's just my opinion. I don't know. Yeah. And it and it's actually an unbiased opinion. That is not based <laughs> yeah. on any kind of Ohio State fandom. <laughs> yes. I mean, like Gina is very good at, at keeping her fan biases out of it because you have to occasionally you know, pinch it for the Saints site. And I know it, it burns me up inside every, I mean, I definitely cackle when I make the, the Saints confidence graphic and it's, you know, in the, in the single digits. Uh, so, yes. you know, I understand that game, uh, but yes, I, I know you're capable of, of, of delivering insight that's not based purely with fan goggles. And I, I think you're, you're definitely onto something there with Harbaugh. And um, there's been surprisingly little buzz about Harbaugh interviewing or receiving interest. I mean, obviously there's buzz like, Oh, teams would be wanting to talk to him, but um, there hasn't been any movement yet. So obviously next week is when stuff really starts to pick up in terms of people actually interviewing based on the schedule, but um, definitely something to monitor whether he actually does end up coming to the NFL or not. Um, And I know George Costanza was saying his first choice was currently Jim Harbaugh as well along with uh, B- enemy uh, Riley, Lincoln Riley, and Ben Johnson. Um, those are some, Lincoln some good Riley. options. Yeah. So, hey, it, but he's like, look, if we maybe maybe you automatically, you know, Caleb Williams will, will, will end up here if you get Lincoln Riley. Maybe that's the play. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to get the quarterback right, and I agree with you on that, George, and, and you got to get the guy to fix that side of the ball because that's where the problem is. And that's one of my other things with Belichick is that that's – arguably the one thing he hasn't really been able to do is find a quarterback other than outside of Brady and get the offense fixed when it's kind of sputtered. So that, you know, that hire doesn't really help that. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what what happens there, but curious about Harbaugh. We'll see what happens with him. You know, to me, the guy that I've kind of circled because I, I think everyone loves Ben Johnson. I think he's sort of universally loved. And that to me means that he's the hot candidate. He's the one that's going to get the most attention and I think there's certainly some chance that he does take the Atlanta job. You know, I know we put something up on the site about, you know, the the top, the most desirable destinations. And the Falcons are a desirable destination. They, they have an offensive line that's pretty much set. They have a lot of young weapons and pieces for a quarterback to take advantage of immediately. They have salary cap space. They have a, you know, enough picks to go to get a quarterback if they want. They have the picks to trade for one. They have the salary cap to trade for one or sign one. And they have a patient owner that typically, and I know it's controversial how much does does the ownership interfere in the day-to-day. You know, Rich McKay is a hot topic right now. But from a league standpoint, Blank is well-respected and known as one of the more patient, coach-friendly owners that's not going to fire you six or eight games into the season when you're having a bad year like David Tepper. Um Coaches aren't afraid to come to Atlanta thinking they're not going to get a fair shot. Um, you know, if there's one thing you could say about Blank is that he's going to give the coach a fair shot um, and hasn't really been one to, you know, kick guys out too early or not give people a chance. So I think it's a desirable destination. So certainly Ben Johnson could be on the table. But let's let's pretend that Ben Johnson takes the Chargers job, you know, because if it was me, I'd go to where there was a quarterback and just, you know, let's be honest mm-hmm. with that. The guy that I really like is, is Bobby Slowick, who is someone that has really just burst onto the scene this year mm-hmm. for good reason. Obviously, the Texans offense has been very good, but the main thing is he's shown an ability to develop a young quarterback very quickly, a, a quarterback that was, I think, unfairly accused of, you know, not going through progressions or not being able to navigate pressure and all this stuff. And I think that's not necessarily, that was always kind of overblown. But 
very few rookies take off to the level that CJ Stroud did this year. Um, and I think, you know, you look at the Texans offense and it's pretty impressive given that that was an offense that was absolutely in the, in the dumpster basically before Slowick and, and Stroud got there along with D'Amico Ryans, of course. The other thing I like about Slowick, obviously he's from the Shanahan tree, which has been very successful. Um, pretty, you know, I would say most of the Shanahan disciples, quote unquote, have had success as head coaches, have had success with their offense. Um, and that's, that's nothing to, to forget or, or to take lightly. Um, so could he be the next one? Maybe he's 36 years old, obviously. Uh, so a long future ahead of him, potentially. The other thing I liked is that he has coached both sides of the ball. He started off as a defensive assistant with Washington back in 2011, coached defense for several years, uh, ended up in San Francisco first as a defensive quality control coach, and then was moved over to be an offensive assistant for a few years. And then in 2021 became the passing game specialist, which in case you guys forgot, that's the part that the Falcons have really struggled with is the passing game. And after one year as the passing game specialist got promoted to the passing game coordinator for Kyle Shanahan's offense, and then rode that to the Texans where he was a very successful first year play caller as well. Um, so I always like a guy that does have experience on both sides of the ball as a head coach that he knows his way around both rooms. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be all buddy, buddy with the offense and not know anything about the defense, not saying that Arthur Smith was like that or anything, but, um, because Arthur Smith, I think also did do a little bit of work with the defensive line and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think Slowick is a guy that, that is a little bit underrated in the process and could be someone that you know, has an ability to work with a young quarterback. And that, to me, is the most important thing for this Falcons team right now is getting the quarterback right. Um, so that that's where I'm leaning at this stage. But I think there's a lot of compelling options, and I think you guys brought up some good ones as well. Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good call, and you know, I've, 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 I think I brought up Slowick a while back. Uh, any ties to the Shanahan offense, I'm I'm all for. <laughs> um, which is why you know I think there's another name, <clears throat> excuse me, out there that has been interesting to me and I was happy to see that he got interviews not even just from us from other people too uh you know Steve Wilkes situation yeah um yeah. is very interesting to me and you know first and foremost like I, I'll be transparent and obvious about this um you know as, as as a black man I really hate to see how he's been done by this league when he's had his head coach opportunities right you give him one year with Josh Rosen and then all of a sudden because Kyler Murray's available you fire him and then you bring in um you know, you bring in uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Oh, yeah, how'd that work out for you? Uh, and we see how Carolina went where the team rallied around them. Crazy enough, they had a chance to fight for a playoff spot last year, too. They say, nope, we're going to move on because we want this guy, Frank Wright. Okay, well, how'd that go for you, too? Um, so, you know, just but again, you know, it's one of those things where you talk about San Francisco. Another thing that I've been thinking about as of late, and actually shout out one of my friends. He's the one that put me onto this. The idea of uh, Clint Kubiak who's on the San Francisco offensive uh, staff right now. He's, I think he's already interviewing too for some other uh, offensive coordinator opportunities. I think the bears brought him in. So you maybe bring him as an OC. So again, still have a continuity with that West coast Shanahan style offense for a young quarterback. Um, and of course he has experience working with the young one. We see what Brock Purdy has been doing. Um, just another, again, just another thought that I was, I was thinking on that too. That, that's kind of like a, I'm not saying Steve Wilkes is like my number one, but he's definitely higher up on the list, I think, when I thought about the, the context, continuity. And again, like I said, you got a chance to bring in a coach that wants to be petty against a division opponent twice a year. Sign me up for that. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, 
lots of good points there. Um, and <laughs> yeah, no, it's, this is such an intriguing coaching search from so many levels because there's a lot of ways you could go. I mean, they're interviewing a lot of really talented defensive staff members, like you mentioned, Steve Wilkes, especially. And he was a guy that I think had a lot of fans when we were hiring the defense coordinator last year. Um, you know, I think some a lot of people preferred him even to to Ryan Nielsen before that hire was made. And I understood why, and I, I, I was not entirely against that either. Um, because his players love him, and I think he's shown to be a good coordinator everywhere he goes. So I certainly wouldn't be opposed to, to Wilkes getting a serious look here in Atlanta either. I know, um, I know Corey Woodruff, our other contributor, he's team as Evero, who I, I still think maybe needs a little bit more time, obviously coached the hell out of that Panthers defense. That was, you know, very similar to the Falcons defense and that they had to really carry a struggling offense. Most of last year, we've seen Lions defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, who I know has fans as well. We, the interesting, uh, you know, the Ravens, the Falcons are interviewing multiple guys from the Ravens. Not Todd Munkin yet, interestingly. I figured he would be on the list, so we'll see if that does develop at any point. But Mike McDonald, their defensive coordinator, and Anthony Weaver, their assistant head coach, um, you know, they, they've they definitely cast a wide net of guys. I'm still very much, and we're definitely going to get to you guys' comments and your preferences too, because I know we have a, a number of donations and, and votes about your per, you guys' personal uh, choices for, for the coach that we'll, we'll read off here. But um, curious what you guys think about that offense versus defense debate, because obviously it did, you know, the Arthur Smith thing didn't work out. I'm still very much team hire an offensive head coach, because if you don't, you're going to lose them. You know, you're going to lose that coordinator. Say you do hit on that great coordinator. You're going to go through what the Texans are probably about to go through, what the Bengals are probably about to go through, what, you know, a lot of teams are, are going through, like the Lions potentially with Ben Johnson. Like you get the great offense that, you, that you've been searching for and then somebody else steals your coach. You know, it doesn't steal, it promotes really. But um, the Falcons obviously went through this at a very close level with Kyle Shanahan getting... Uh, promoted and taking over the 49ers. And, you know, now in hindsight, we know that, oh, maybe the offense was the most important part. And fair or not, that's just where the NFL is. The offense is king. Um, so I'm definitely team offense, but I'm curious, Gina, do you do you care one way or the other? Is it more about the individual or, or are you more subscribed to that side of the debate? So <clears throat> there are a few things, and this is based on, you know, an entire lifetime growing up around coaches. Um, so some people are really better suited as coordinators. Um, it, you know, being a head coach, you've got to you've got to be a big picture person. You've got to be able to delegate to delegate. Um, I think that having experience on both sides of the ball, like we've talked about with Raheem Morris, I think that that's really important. And um, it, there are very few people who have that. You know, people who haven't had a head coaching role before. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, over the past several years, we've had both types of coaches. And um, here we are still complaining about this team in the year of our Lord 2023. So I don't think it really matters. I do think that what matters most is the ability to delegate, being able to set your own ego aside, even if it's your side of the ball. If things aren't working well, be willing to listen to other people. You know, I, I think that just really being a strong leader is the most important quality for a head coach. Yeah. No, and I, I that, yeah, yeah. 
I have to bounce you guys. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. I remember now. Yes. Thank you we for your insights, you. Gina. Appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Have a great Love night. Love you all. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Have a great night. Yes. Well, Jordan, it's just us now. Now we can really, you know, release the takes now. But, uh, <laughs> No, I'm curious though what you think about that is. Are you like, do you have a side on that debate, or is it more about the individual coach for you? I mean, I think it's just more. Uh, I, I think uh, Gina put it the right way. I think it's about the leadership characteristics. That's what matters most. I mean, again, you look at some of the most long tenured and successful coaches of this era. It's they come from a variety of different ways. You know, um, Tony Dungy was a defensive guy, but of course they got the quarterback right. And that that's what made it that that's what made that work. Um, again, Bill Belichick was a defensive guy. They got the quarterback right. So that's that's what could help and make that work. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin's not an offensive guy, but because the culture that they established and had in Pittsburgh, it didn't really matter. Um, but I do think, again, it just comes down to for the most part is like I understand the point about, you know, the offense and keeping things rolling. The thing that's interesting about that, though, is think about, again, the offensive staff that we had in Atlanta with Dan Quinn, right? Kyle Shanahan's there, Matt LaFleur is there, Mike McDonald. You have all these guys, and what always is going to feel like in, you know, whether hindsight, some people probably thought this and saw this in the moment too, they had a chance to have continuity with play calling and scheme, and they didn't do it, right? They, they let guys get out and go all these other different ways. So, you know, it can still happen, but again, the thing for me is the main thing I look for a head coach, not even if they're an offensive guy, defensive guy, it's just how can you how can you relate to the guys, right? And and how can you show them that I'm willing and able to put this ego aside and 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 do what's best for the team? And again, that's another reason why I brought up Steve Wilkes. Because think about it, uh, when the 49ers went on their three game losing streak this year, the offense in those three games, the offense scored 17 points in each game. But guess where a lot of the fingers were being pointed towards during that? It was Steve Wilkes and the defense were saying, well, it's because Steve Wilkes needs to be down on the field. You know, he's in the booth and the players can't relate to him. This that like defense isn't the reason y'all are losing. This high powered offense with Kyle Shanahan and and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk and get all these guys. Y'all putting up 17 points a game. That's the problem. But guess what Steve Wilkes did? He didn't say anything to the media. He just went down on the sideline and kept working, kept operating like that, that, that just. In terms, like I said, leadership qualities and characteristics, that shows me something. That's the main thing that I want to look for. And, I mean, we can even talk about it in terms of what we just had here. And, again, I'm not saying this to bash on Arthur Smith, but how many times do you see whether it was like Kurt Warner saying something about the offense or, you know, if people are asking, hey, you know, why can't we get Pitts the ball more or or where's, you know, Bijan in the red, in the goal line? And it's like, oh, I don't care about the fantasy football, right? It, like it, it just felt different yeah. um, from a leadership standpoint. So, that's that's the main thing for me. It can be an offensive guy, defensive guy. I just want to know how you can relate, be a leader, and own up to your faults when you when you do show up short yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think all those things matter, and unfortunately, those are things that you don't really know as an outsider unless you've actually worked with the coach or you've had a lot of time to to meet with them. And and for the most part, other than maybe Raheem, because we we've, we've seen him in Atlanta for so long. Um, you know, he's been around this team and we have some experience working with him. It's hard to know, obviously Steve Wilkes, you know, the buzz is excellent there, you know, and, and most of these guys, I think is these guys are all well-liked they're all respected. Um, and they're all getting a lot of interviews. So, but only so many of them are going to get head coaching jobs. And, you know, Aaron Glenn's a great example of a guy that I think has been interviewed 
a lot every cycle and has, has not really gotten many offers. You know, Eric Bieniemy is another one. You know, is, is Washington even going to interview him? There that seems to be kind of questionable there what's going on, um, you know, considering the job that he did. I know he has a lot of fans and uh, the Falcons fan base as well. So it, it is a big question mark. And, and I think that, you know, the debate about offense versus defense, I think, is important, but I, I do ultimately agree with the sentiment that you have to just get the right coach. And if you get the right coach, you can figure the rest out. Um, but it, I think it's harder to, it's been harder to replace offense, which tends to be more sure. stable year to year than it has been to replace or fix the defense, which has tended to be more variable year to year. But again, those are just tr- stats and trend lines and they, they don't necessarily mean that that's going to happen in the future. And, you know, defense, like Joe Schmo in the chat's been saying, is defense has kind of been making a comeback in recent years. Scoring has started to go down a little bit. You know, I mm-hmm. maintain that the, that the NFL wants there to be offense and, and the rule book is going to continue to favor offense. Um, and offense it has been king now for about a decade, but maybe that will change. Who knows? So ultimately, I think if you get the right guy, it, to me, the, the, the big issue with and, and the reason I'm I, the Falcons seem to be really interested in Belichick and, and all the reporting seems to suggest that as well. And I think that's the one guy that like nobody on this panel wants because I think it's short sighted and it, 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 it's so small. It's, it's, it's very narrow minded, I think. It, and it's all about, let's just go all in to win the next three years. So you're going to blow up this entire methodical rebuild. You're going to blow up the locker room, the culture to bring in, a very good coach, don't get me wrong, for what's going to be a three-year run. And I just don't think there's a great chance of winning a Super Bowl in that three years. And I'm not convinced that Belichick gives you that much more of a chance than one of these other coaches that could be here for a longer period of time. Um, and I and I think, mm-hmm. I think going for that long-term coach is always the right play. I don't agree with people that say like, oh, well, it's really hard to find, uh, you know, a, a Mike Tomlin or a Pete Carroll or a Bill Belichick. So like, why even bother? We should just go for the short term fix. It, you have to like, it's hard to get a franchise quarterback. Does that mean you should just go for, you know, bridge quarterbacks every year because it's hard to find a good one? Like, uh, no, like you have to try to get the home run. If you never swing for the home run, you're just hitting singles and singles only get you so far. Well, the other part of it too, even if you, you look, somewhat short term you better have a succession plan and so when i say that is okay you bring in an older coach you better have someone or that coach better have someone that he can groom and be ready to to move on um if they decide to retire because i'm sure as we all know bill belichick's assistants have a great reputation of being phenomenal head coaches right when they get their own shot um yeah that, that that's been uh yeah, I can go down the list, right? Josh McDaniels has been so good wherever he's been. Matt Patricia was so good where he's been. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. So that's that's the other part about it too, right? If you do want to bring in an old guy, okay, cool. What what's going to be the plan after that? Like, I, I I'd almost say like for a coach like Bill Belichick, I need I want to see. Okay, let's say hey, you're only here for two years, three years. Do you will you have like a coach in mind that you'd want to be in the ranks to be ready? Speaking of though, another thing that we hadn't talked about yet. Um, regarding Bill Belichick, I think that's pretty interesting and telling just about where things ended up being in New England. You see mm-hmm. how how quick it took for the Patriots to 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 sign on to a new head coach. Shout out to Romeo, by the way. Congrats. You see how quick that took? Yeah. Like not, not again, long. You, if you're if you're replacing a legend in the game, 
great and someone who still wants to coach still don't you think that you you'd want to take some more time just to make sure you get it right like and i get it he's been in the system he's been in the building already but i i just thought that was interesting too where it's like now we're we're ready to move on because we we have this right like that that was interesting to me it's just something again if i were arthur blake rich mccain company something i think about yeah yeah something i think about definitely i think that's definitely something to consider and um yeah we got we got a long way to go because i don't think a hire is imminent you know the fact that i haven't even spoken to anyone yet other than requesting interviews um and we're gonna see but i do want to read off some of your guys uh thoughts on the coaching search too i uh, appreciate everyone for donating once again uh we got jeff jeffrey miller with the five dollar super chat thanks jeff appreciate you or jeffrey uh don't know what you prefer <laughs> sometimes it takes your like full name for the the donation so you know i don't know but uh Jeffrey says, I think it would be a very bad idea if the Falcons hire Bill Belichick. I, I agree with you there. Uh, we got Super Cantra 85 with the $10. Thank you, man. He says, why are the Falcons overlooking the best coaching prospect in Jim Harbaugh? Who cares if he's weird or just costs too much? <laughs> Maybe we should just give him Fontenot's salary since apparently he's not really the GM. Ooh, man, I like that, uh, the spice there. But yeah, I mean, I, we, I think we did cover that a little bit and it it's either that they're not interested or that maybe Harbaugh is planning to go back to Michigan. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, uh, two things with that real quick too. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> one about Jim Harbaugh. Look, I can, I wasn't recruited by him, but a lot of the older players that I was with at Stanford, they, those were his guys. And I can tell you some crazy, funny recruiting stories about him and just coaching stories. But the consensus was like, I was just talking to uh Chris Owusu about this today, who played at Stanford, was receiver, I think played for the Bucks and Jets um, for a while in the NFL, too. He's like, you, you're never going to find anybody more competitive than, than Jim Harbaugh, um, which, you know, I think that is very important to have in a, in a locker room that starts at the top. Also, secondly, I thought this is pretty interesting. Um, the Falcons, they the, the, the white smoke is popping up for Flowery Branch because yes, they yes. have completed a uh, coaching interview. So there's that. That's right. Yeah, with Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald is the first the first domino to fall, perhaps, uh, as the Falcons completed that first interview. So that's uh, something to monitor as well. Obviously, we're not going to hear any news about that, but good good to know that they did interview somebody, uh, so, so that's nice. Um, and yes, that makes sense, obviously, that it would be the Ravens guys because they're on bye, so they are able to be interviewed at this point, unlike a lot of these guys that are playing this weekend, obviously. Um Got Max Huddleston with the five. Thank you, Max. He says, wish we could have kept Matt Ryan. Maybe Dez could have developed to be as good as Jordan Love. Oh, man. I was th <laughs> I was throwing out a lot of love slander this offseason that I'm going to have to pay for, apparently. I should never bet against Green Bay just finding quarterbacks everywhere because that's they're just one of those teams that they just always get a quarterback no matter what. So, uh, But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not convinced that Desmond is going to just never improve, but I think it's pretty obvious that he can't be the starter, uh, not anytime soon, at least. Uh, he's, you know, he's gonna have to go through the process that pretty much all third rounders do, which is you're gonna have to find your way onto the field somehow and and impress, and that's the only way you're gonna get a shot to start. Um, it's not impossible to do. Obviously, Dak Prescott, uh, Matt Schaub, right, guys that were able to do it. Desmond got a chance to start, it didn't really work out. Um, but again, I, I don't think Desmond's going anywhere because I don't think you're, there's any point in parting ways with a a third round rookie who's you know been somewhat close to 500 as a starter right and and has definitely shown flashes and also shown 
whatever the opposite of flashes is, I, I don't know, cratering uh, or something like that. So, you know, it's been very uh, difficult. But again, Ritter's a guy that I don't think you're looking to move on from at this stage. Um, we got Corey Carter with the $2 saying, finally, the real issue in Atlanta is being illuminated and people are starting to accept it. Mistake after mistake. Yeah, I think he's talking about the Blake and McKay parent potentially... Yeah, and, and what it, like why wouldn't they think about the optics of how bad it would look without Terry Fontenot there? And that's something we didn't talk about yet. I know Corey continued that that was such an awkward press conference, and he really appreciated how the Atlanta media did not let them off the hook for not including Fontenot. And we should talk about that because it was odd that he wasn't there, right? Like that. Do you agree? <laughs> like it, it was weird that he wasn't there. It was. I, I- I, I can't say just because I don't know what he was doing instead, but I will say this, the way it looked right. Definitely was weird. Um, and especially like when you look at it, this is not the first time the Falcons fire someone one day to have a press conference and the GMs right there. Right. That, um, you know, when in the past, that's how it would be right. With Thomas Dimitrov. So that was interesting. I like the fact that, you know, I think Mike Rothstein had a question about it. A couple other people were asking about it. Um, and also like, I think it was a uh, home team, Brandon Lee. He he had the question of like, you do realize like people have questions about the two of you, right? Being McKay and Blank. Um, this was one of those interviews, and I'm saying this across all levels of Atlanta pro sports, where this was one of those first interviews where it really felt like no, they they put they they were ready to put it to him. Yeah. Um, and it was much needed. You know, it was much needed. I think that I think from that standpoint, it was good. You got to ask him the tough questions. Just look, here, here's the truth about it. One, you need to ask the tough questions, but also you need to see what the response is going to be because of those tough questions. And there were some answers there that were like, okay, this makes sense. You know, going about this, going about that. Then there were others where it's like, wait, hold up, what? Then you, how you just answered that kind of flip-flop from what you said earlier. Um, so that that was interesting. But again, like I'm happy the way that it went. Um, it would be, int- I would just like to hear from Terry himself eventually. Um, yeah. of like, cause I'm sure one of the questions is going to be, Hey, like when they had the Arthur Smith press conference, where were you or what was going on? You know, see what he has to say about it. Um, right. Maybe he was skiing and- like me. I don't know. <laughs> Taking a vacation. <laughs> okay, like, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he's at flowery branch. They're doing some, maybe one-on-one as an interview type. So I, I don't know, which is again, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm not going to jump the gun fully and say that. It was weird, but optic wise, that it definitely was like that's a that's a little bit of eyebrow razor. Yeah, so I, I agree. It was weird. Uh, it was strange, and I, I think people are are rightly starting to question like how much power does Rich McKay have? Because you know, over the years, I've been told he's just on the business side, but then he said stuff during the press conference about like, yeah, I am involved in the day to day, and it's like that wasn't what I was told. Um, mm-hmm. That's a little concerning, a little eyebrow raising, and you know, I I don't. McKay is a very, like, I know fans hate Rich McKay. He wasn't a very good GM in Atlanta, but he is a very well-respected NFL figure. People that think that McKay is, like, he has no business being in the Falcons organization or he's, like, a fool or something. No, Rich McKay is is one of the most powerful people in the NFL. He is the chair of the competition committee, for those that don't know. Um, he, he basically is the leader of the people that set the rules every season. So... Mm-hmm. He's a very respected figure. He commands a lot of respect from the league at large. It's a good guy to have in your organization. No question about it. 
The question is how much does he actually help your football day to day? I think from the business side, from the league side, obviously he's a big asset, but you do wonder. And again, the same thing with Arthur Blank, who obviously commands a ton of respect in the league, is a great business mind, but how good of a football mind are you? And and mm-hmm. are you getting too involved with that side of things when you should be hiring people, which is your expertise, right? You're a businessman. You should have a feel for the character. Deshaun Watson fiasco notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> but you hire the guys to make the decisions. At, you know, you, 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 it all goes down the chain. You don't need to insert yourself into football operations. And I hope that they're not. But it, it certainly... It certainly did uh, raise a lot of eyebrows, as you said, uh, to what was going on there with that conference. But um, we got Guy Fieri, a.k.a. Solaire, with the $2. He says, I want to, I want Belichick here just so we can watch D-Led versus Belichick weekly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be must-see TV. I, I would enjoy that, certainly. Um, <laughs> I thought we had no shot at Ben Johnson, but now we do. Disappointing season, but the Falcoholic content was great, at least. All right. Thank you, Guy. Guy, he also says Jordan's been a great addition to the show, so it was worth it. Yeah, I agree. So much appreciated. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Um, we also got Corey Carter with the two. He says, I would like to take a moment to say thank you to Coach Smith. It didn't work out here, but he was always accountable. And even though I have personally joked about the FedEx background, he really didn't take the easy way. He did decide to make his own way. I respect that. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, thanks to Coach Smith. I he coached his ass off. He I, I never questioned his effort or his desire to see the Falcons succeed. I think he was doing the best that he could, obviously. It just didn't work out. So, um, you know, all the best of luck to Coach Smith uh, wherever he ends up. I'm guessing that wherever Vrabel ends up, he'll probably join him. And, and you know, hopefully he'll have success uh, in the future. You know, I, hopefully this will be a learning experience for him. And, you know, it's it's good to know that financially Smith will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's got the FedEx money right. and, and he's got the NFL guaranteed coach money. So uh, financially, uh, hopefully it'll be okay. But uh, I think Smith will bounce back. And, and I think we haven't seen the last of him in the NFL, certainly. Um, we got George Costanza with the two saying, stupid credit card expiration disrupted my unending support on Patreon, but it's fixed now. Yeah, I was getting a little concerned there, Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for that George check to hit, and I was like, oh, where is this? <laughs> but uh, thank you, George. Uh, he says, also, Belichick without Brady has been average at best. His drafting has been pretty bad. However, Pete Carroll has been successful both in college and in the pros. Yeah, I mean, if Carroll want, I, I mean, we didn't really talk about it. I, I don't know that Carroll necessarily is wanting to coach a whole lot more. I mean, I know there's been some buzz that he does want to continue coaching, but, um, you know, we'll see that that's one that no one's really talked about for Atlanta, but we'll see if, if, I mean, I'm guessing Carol's probably going to take a year off and maybe he'll come back or maybe, you know, he's going to apparently do this analyst thing or, or some kind of front office role or something with the Seahawks and we'll see. Um, but he's also in his seventies. So maybe he's just like, "Eh, maybe Mm -hmm. I will just chill, you know, And, and he's earned that if he wants. So, um, it's tough. I mean, from what it sounded like, he wants to <laughs> yeah. keep coaching. I looked at some of the uh, some of that press conference that he did, and you know that that that's probably the most or one of, if not the most, energetic seventy uh, one year olds you'll find, uh, right? Like all the videos you see him running around at practice, throwing you know throwing and and whatnot. Um, but again, it's just one of those things where it's just like some older players in the league, right? You have energy one day, then the next year you just never know. It might not have it again. It, it's a risk, you know. It's a big risk. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I, I do, 
obviously respect what Carroll's been able to do in his career. Very decorated coaching career as well. Um, we got Corey Carter again with a couple more here. He says, Bobby Sloak would be my top choice right now. All right, Team Sloak, let's go. Uh, he says, he's young, has a passing game background, and if you're going to change the culture, you do want a young coach that can grow. Bill Belichick will be 72 when the season starts. Um, also, Todd Monken and Will... Uh, Wilkes are interesting. Yeah, I am curious if they're. I, I, I'm guessing they're not planning to interview Monken because now would be the time while the Ravens are on by. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that they can't submit that, but um, doesn't seem like they're as interested there, which is interesting to me at least. Uh, we got Corey Carter again. He says our next QB needs to be someone who displays class, always wants to win, and always wants to score touchdowns. That's why Jameis Winston is the only practical I was going to say, so we're getting Jameis. In 24. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, where is this going? And I knew Corey, you, know, you, can't, you can't trust these Corey donations. They're, oh, they're very, they, they, it's, a, it's a roller coaster. But yeah, uh, I, would, I, I would not put Jameis out there in the victory formation again, to say the least, I guess the Falcons, if, unless you want him to get blown up. Uh, we got Spenny Platinum with the Canadian 279. All right. Canadian dollars. I don't know what the exchange rate translates to that, but uh, I'll, I'll just read off what it says. Uh, <laughs> he says, Mike McDonald is my pick. They just completed the interview there. Defense wins championships. Yeah. Obviously, they like him. He was first on their list, apparently, or, or at least the, the first one they were able to get in the building. But uh, we'll see. Um, we got Corey again with the two. He says, curious why we would go after Raheem now. We had him in the building before and let him walk. Um I would think it's because he's gained more experience. You know, I think back when he didn't necessarily blow the doors off as the interim coach, right? So they were probably like, we can't, we need to like sell the fan base on a bigger move than just sticking with Raheem. And I think at the time that made a lot of sense. Um, but I think, you know, Raheem has continued to excel this year, what he's done with that Rams defense, which in case you guys don't know, is made up of like 50% undrafted free agents and rookies, like at least. Um, it's, it's, it's like magical. Like, I don't know how they built a competent NFL defense out of what is essentially like very little investment, but they did. And I think Raheem is a, a coach with a lot of experience, knows so many people, um, and, and is going to be capable of building a great staff. He's got a deep bench of guys he knows and, and commands the respect of the players. So that's, that's why, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be their top choice, but I certainly think he could be someone that they end up with if, you know, they don't get Belichick and then Ben Johnson decides to go to LA or whatever. Um, and they're like, okay, well let's, let's go. Like, I think he's kind of that tier two option. That's a really good tier two option. And I don't mean that as an insult to him. I mean, is he, I think he deserves, you know, a chance to coach somewhere. I don't think he's like a sexy name, like some of these other coaches, but I, I think if you end up with him, you'll be probably pretty happy with the results you get. And he was probably going to end up outperforming some of these tier one coaches that are the sexier names, because that's just how these things work. A lot of times these less heralded coaches, they, they do better. Um, it's not always about the sex appeal, right? You got to actually perform, you know, go get back to these blue chew ads. Now yeah. we're getting into the real conversation. Speaking of, you know, now speaking we're of rising up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like Raheem Mexico now. when you need them. Exactly. Yeah. No, we get blue chew. Call me back. You know, we got to get more blue chew reads on here, but um we got Corey. He says, uh, let's see. Oh, wait, let me hold on. I just scrolled past it. All right. Corey says, tell me how it makes sense to let someone 
research a move and do their job and then report to a guy who is not plugged into the day-to-day activities and that guy has the final say. It's a weird setup, you know, I they did seem to have a hard time explaining the role and that to me means that it's either not well established or they were kind of embarrassed about it and didn't really want to reveal it and I don't know which one is which, maybe a little of both, but I, I think if you're concerned about the nature of that setup with McKay and Blank and Fontenot, I think that's reasonable because I think we're all a little bit concerned at this point, more than I have been in the past, certainly. Um, well, and again, you got to think about it this way too. If we're concerned, who's to say, and I mean, I've, I've heard that there were reports on this the last cycle around. If we're concerned, who's to say that some of these head coaches aren't concerned? Right. Right. Like exactly. that, that has to play a part in this too. Yeah, it absolutely does. Okay. We got one for Jordan here from Jason Gaines says, Jordan, you played on a Stanford Cardinal team that played in a Rose Bowl versus Iowa. What was that atmosphere like on game day? What was it like to also have a Hall of Fame D-lineman Bryant Young as your D-line coach during your time with the Falcons? Yeah. Um, so funny enough, here, here's a fun story about Bryant Young. So I actually knew him uh, back when he was coaching at Florida, right? This is when Urban Meyer was still there. So it was a summer. I was um, coming in for, for you know, sort of summer workout and BY's there. And so, like, we go in, and I think it was during the summer. So we go in to uh, the the locker room after, get on the whiteboard, right? And we're just talking D-line stuff for, like, an hour, right? It, it was awesome because, I mean, I, I already remember – I remembered him from his 49er days, um, and I was like, man, I'm talking to Brian Young. This is dope. So you get done. I'm leaving. I think I'm driving back, driving home, and I get, like, an ESPN update. And it's like, oh, yeah, breaking news. Urban Meyer is stepping away from Florida. And I was just like, did, why did I just – what? <laughs> like, I just spent a whole hour with a Florida Gator D-line coach. So now now what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, to, to, re, uh, to catch up, back up with him, though, again, in Atlanta was really awesome. Um, like, he remembered me. We caught up. Um, like really, really awesome dude. And of course he knows this stuff too about the D line. So no, it was, it was awesome being there with, uh, with Brian. Then second question, I mean, well, it was the first question, but there's nothing like being at the Rose bowl there. There's really nothing like it. Um, you know, that was, cause that was my third, that was my third Rose bowl game, but we also played there before too, cause UCLA plays their home games there as well. But that, you know, that, that kickoff time, on New Year's Day, the grass, like it's the greenest grass you'll ever see. Like they make sure of it, they paint it, they make sure it looks even better and green. Um, you know, when that bowl fills up, it's it's just incredible. And you know, they always have like the stealth destroyer flyover for the anthem. Um, it's it's crazy. It's I I can't I wish I could paint an even better picture for it because I always say Pasadena, the Rose Bowl, there's no better venue than than being there. Of course, it did help that our first play from scrimmage, there's this really good white running back that uh, took a pass to the house that, that got us going in that Iowa game. But I uh, wonder what he's up to now. Um, <laughs> but no, it's I, I love the Rose Bowl. Yeah, it it, I, it sounds just like an amazing experience to get to to play in that such a storied, you know, historic venue and, and such a, a big game. Uh, pretty, pretty badass sounding, uh, in my opinion. So appreciate you sharing those great stories. We got... Dave with the five says, I just can't stomach Belichick and I don't care about his legacy. Yep, fair enough, Dave. Fair enough. Is that you, Dave Choate? <laughs> 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 uh, 
We got Corey, another Belichick comment here. Belichick to the Falcons after New England would be like when Lombardi went to Washington after Green Bay. Totally forgettable in the scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the concerns is that a lot of the times these late career, you know, sunset sort of moves, they, they don't really generate much. Um, so, you know, not that it hasn't ever worked. It certainly has. But will it work for the Falcons, you know? Be like, I don't uh, think so. Yeah. Be like, like uh, Tracy McGrady in a Spurs jersey. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't feel right. Yeah. It's, you know, what was it? Uh, I forget the, the one with the, in the Magic uh, the magic jersey. I can't remember if it was. Was it Patrick Ewing or was it Sean Kemp? I can, it's one of the two. I can't remember. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those like, oh, this doesn't look right. This is not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not. This is not okay. Um, we got Corey Carter again. He says, hoping to see the Biennemi crowd calm down. He's not even going to get an interview with Washington. Does have past baggage. It's true. And is suspect when it comes to his coaching ability overall. Also has questionable communication skills. I mean, I can't speak to that. Um, it It is weird to me that he's not getting an interview with Washington. I would think, I thought, you know, the buzz was for a while that he was just going to take over. Because they liked what he saw. Obviously, Sam Howell, Howell had a really bad end of the season. That didn't help things but um you know he's just going to go back to kansas city if if he doesn't get hired in washington or, or get a head coaching job and probably help that offense immeasurably i mean i think he's clearly uh clearly someone who's talented offensive coach you know i think the play calling in washington for the most part was good this year so i'm interested but yeah i mean once again he's not getting a lot of interviews and um you know you do wonder why he's not getting more but um, obviously the past baggage does have something to do with it. You know, the NFL is, is more sensitive to those things than they, they have been in the past. Still not sensitive enough, in my opinion. But, um, you know, so I wonder if that is part of it. But, you know, for a while, obviously, it was like, oh, we think Andy Reid, you know, runs the show and, and BNME doesn't do much. But I think the Washington situation showed that BNME does know what he's doing as a play caller. So, Yeah, it's it's one of those things where... Look, there's two sides of the spectrum, right? You can say, hey, well, Washington was one of the leading passing teams in, in the league. It's like, well, they had to be because that defense <laughs> also did. was not, not very good. Um, you know, but at the same time, the way I look at the enemy, again, I guess it kind of goes back to the standpoint of the leadership aspect of it. Like, that's one thing that really came for me from a lot of the Kansas City players that, uh, that I thought kind of didn't get as appreciated as it needed to be. If that makes sense, like everyone, of course, you, you want to see like the actual plays and the production, which of course is very important, not not denying or taking away from that. But when you hear the way about how, you know, Patrick Mahomes talks about how he holds him accountable, and then Travis Kelsey talked about it too. You heard the same thing from a lot of guys in like remember when he first got up to Washington and the whole thing was just like, Yeah, they're struggling to deal with his style of coaching, which is like, you know, hard nosing your face. I'm like, get over it really what's what's yeah. hard about that that's that's called being a coach you yeah. know um but no it, I, I think it's interesting i guess part of it too is when you are kind of changing house you you do you sweep everything through uh so i wonder how much of that has a part to do with it uh i mean look you saw all the trades that they made especially up front on the d-line uh they just bring in adam peters from san francisco so they have a new gm you just wonder if he's going to want to have like his own guy right to to go there with them um so if they if they would have kept the same gm i i think i'd be more with you of like that's very interesting he's not they're not looking at him um or you're not hearing more about interviews for him but um since they are changing a lot at the top kind of get it yeah no it it certainly makes more sense now with the knowledge that they are basically 
cleaning house more or less um i'm still surprised there's not been news of him getting an interview at least there i mean i thought he'd be a shoo-in for at least an interview but you want to see it, it could change obviously that they just hired their basic they're like their gm essentially so that could change like he may still get yeah. an opportunity to interview but so far that was you know i i think people were wondering you know why so maybe maybe we'll get more information on that in the coming weeks maybe we won't um who knows but Corey asks uh, why do people get so caught up on what side of the ball a head coach specializes in. I think the key is communication and the ability to relate and lead. That's definitely a big part of it. I'm not sure I want a coach calling plays on either side of the ball. He needs to be focused in other areas on game day. Um, I mean, I think we did kind of answer this during the show, Corey. I know this came in like 30 minutes ago or whatever. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily matter. You know, it matters in this in the scheme of if your head coach is the offensive guy, you're going to have that stability with the offensive system because you're not going to lose your offensive coordinator and play caller to another team if it goes really well. But the same thing is true on defense. Like if you have a great defensive coordinator, he could also be hired away. So ultimately it is about getting the right coach who has the right connections and the right feel for hiring assistants. I just think it's easier to replace defensive coordinators than it is to replace offensive coordinators. But um, I think it could, I think either way can work. And we've seen, but we've seen special teams coordinators work as head coaches, you know, and I think that there's a reason that works too, is because they, they work with everybody. Right. So it, it's not as important as I necessarily make it out. I have a strong offensive preference. That's just a personal thing for me, but that doesn't mean that you can't have success with a defensive coach or a special teams coach or whoever it, mm-hmm. it can work either way. Um, we got Brandon with the two says thoughts, on Ben Johnson with the success of using his weapons that him coming to Atlanta and getting a quarterback like Drake may maybe through a trade up could change us into playoff contenders. I mean, honestly, if the Falcons had a good quarterback and a capable offense, they would be in the playoffs. No question. They, they were like an inch away from the playoffs with, you know, whatever the heck it was that we had this year. However you want to describe that it was bad. So yeah, I mean, Ben Johnson obviously knows how to use a talented running back, you know, Jameer Gibbs, uh, and how to use a two-headed running attack that in a lot of ways is yeah, very yeah. similar to Atlanta's exactly. a lot of ways. Exactly. Like, what Detroit did was basically what the Falcons should have done. You know, um, probably Bijan would, is, is a little bit more dynamic and, and a better overall runner than Gibbs. And I think Montgomery is probably a better overall player than Algier. So I, it would probably be still a more Bijan heavy split than it was in Detroit where it really was 50-50. But not that dissimilar in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a very similar setup. So... Ben Johnson makes a ton of sense for Atlanta because he can pick his quarterback. He's got a very similar setup with the weapons. It's going to be more of an 11 personnel focused offense with, you know, with, with Ben Johnson. But I mean, you know, who knows what, you know, does he just want Kyle Pitts to play the slot? I mean, I've had my issues with Kyle Pitts not playing outside, but if they commit, like, I think they just need to commit to letting Kyle Pitts play somewhere, let him get healthy and then see what happens. You know, my personal preference is I, I think he's a good outside player, but you know, it's whatever. Um, that let but, him get healthy part because uh, yeah. I, I can't believe we almost went this whole show and yeah, and after, like I, I'm, I'm happy you said that because I do want to say this before I, I gotta head out here in a second too, but mm-hmm. this whole PCL thing, yeah, you know, like that is this look we we we've gone back and forth where it's on the show. There are people in the comments online, you name it, where you know it got to a point where people are talking about Pitts and his energy or his effort, where it's just like. No, that doesn't look like effort to me. That looks like a guy that just either doesn't have confidence in his knee or, you know, is still not fully healthy. But 
the timeline with a PCL, it actually adds up. Um, now, the thing is, you know, for the Falcons, and what's so frustrating about it is, I don't think, you know, it's either, I guess in this situation, you can say either everything or you say nothing. They did the middle, right? Like, if you just want to say, hey, he had knee surgery, boom, you know, okay. Like, we can still have our questions. But the fact that you only put out one part that makes us kind of um, – makes everyone question like what's going on with Cal Pitts? What's wrong with Cal Pitts? But also with that, the thing that they kind of mess themselves up with too, is like, look, at the end of the day, look, the NFLs, we all know it's a business. And one of the businesses that they're in bed with now is fantasy and gambling. Those injury reports and, and statuses, those go a lot, a lot of ways in terms of how money is played and where it goes in Vegas and these big fantasy leagues and things like that. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you, you wouldn't, some people still wouldn't pick up Kyle Pitts or put, you know, DFS down on Pitts or things like that, but it would change like where he goes in a certain draft or what's the over under for his yardage, right? Like if you know the status of his knee. So that's one of the things though, where it's hey, if you want to protect him uh, and not have his full injury info out there, I got it. But here's the monster that you, you have to deal with now, if you're the NFL that you don't, you don't get to pick and choose like that. Um, I mean, for, I mean, obviously we already, saw a bigger example of it earlier in the year with the whole Bijan Robinson uh, not feeling well thing, right, against uh, a Tampa Bay and, and getting fined for it. So that was an interesting one, but I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and I mean, it, a lot of people were, were questioning Pitts' effort, and I, I never really thought that was legit. I, I It just, he didn't look 100%, and I, I, I've never questioned Pitts' effort. He's never been a guy that's given less than 100% effort. And I know people don't necessarily understand, but you don't always give a hundred percent effort on every route. I mean, you can't like, if you're, if you're running, if you're on the field for eight straight plays, you can't go a hundred percent every play because by the time you get to play eight, you're going to be dead. You know, it, sometimes you do have to take a little bit of, of a playoff. You know, you don't take the playoff necessarily, but maybe you're blocking or maybe you're running a clear out or whatever. And you don't have to go full on sprint to do that. I, I don't also think just not I'm, in the progression every single yeah, play. Like every exactly. single receiver is not mad and every single receiver no. is not in the progression every play. Well, it, the quarterback doesn't see the chart and you press the button and it goes to that guy. That's not how the real world works. Yeah, the, the, the Madden vision. You remember the vision cone <laughs> they used to have like back was at 05 or something like that? Yeah, it, it, the cone isn't like this like it was for Peyton Manning. It's more yep. like this a yep. lot of times yep. like it was for, for all the black quarterbacks that was on that game. <laughs> Questionable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well Jordan, I know I know you got to take off. I appreciate you hanging around uh, for an extra long edition of the Falcolic Live tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, and we'll we'll get you obviously back on when we start figuring out our offseason plans here. But I uh, really appreciate your time, guys. He's at Big75, fella. Anything else you want to let people know about before you head out? Uh, no, I'm just happy we got to do this uh, so I can take this time. Like I want to say again, shout out all the fans, uh, everyone that's been tuning in to every single show, previews, post games, trench talk, uh, you name it. Y'all make this thing go and make this work. Uh, so appreciate y'all. Hopefully you enjoyed having me on this year. It's been a blast for me to get talk, to talk football with y'all. And uh, yeah, whenever we know it's going to have an off season, I'll still be around and hopefully uh, we'll be talking again with y'all again soon. Absolutely. Well, it, you're going to be involved in the off season, so there's no suspense uh, about that, but yeah, <laughs> it, once we figure out our schedule and stuff, guys, we'll, we'll let you know, but Jordan, thanks again. Uh, have a great night. Appreciate Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, let me... Oh, you can see two of me now. Ooh, you can see my secondary camera. See how much nicer this first one is. 
Thanks. Shout out to George Costanza for that. But yeah, guys. All right. Well, let me get to the rest of your donations uh, tonight before we sign off here. Appreciate everyone for hanging out with us. Please like, subscribe if you haven't done it already. Uh, leave us that five-star review if you're listening to the podcast. Audio, uh, excuse me, after the fact, this hard cider's starting to hit <clears throat> all the bubbles. Oh, man. We got Jason Gaines for the $2. He says, my pick for the next Falcons head coach is Mike Vrabel. His son is a backup offensive lineman on the Falcons roster. True. Played pretty well when he had to also. Uh, Vrabel is smart. He knows the rule book. Remember when he trolled Belichick by manipulating the game clock in that 2019 divisional playoff win. I do like Mike Vrabel. I do wonder if the Falcons are like, feel like that's a little bit too close to Arthur Smith maybe. Um, but, you know, fair or not, I, I do think Vrabel's a good coach. And now that he's not taking that Patriots job, maybe he will end up getting a look here in Atlanta. I think he's a very good coach. Uh, Jason Gaines again says, I hope I don't get banned from the Falcoholic. Well, that's never a good way to start your, <laughs> your question. <laughs> but I have to criticize Will McFadden for that article on the Falcoholic's website to keep Arthur Smith as head coach after the Aints game. Yeah, so I, I know you called it a clickbait article. I can tell you right now it's not meant to be clickbait. Uh, that was Will's genuine thoughts on the, the situation. And he knew that it would get blowback, but he wanted to write it anyway because that was his personal opinion. And, you know, I, I didn't agree with it either, but I, I appreciated that Will wanted to put it out there and we were going to give him a platform to do it. It's not like it was some outlandish take. You know, it, I I personally was ready to move on, obviously, from, <laughs> from you know, uh, Arthur Smith, and we've made our reasons clear. But, you know, it... it I don't think it was clickbait. I think it was 100% genuine. I think it was Will's real thoughts on the subject. And and I mean, I think you, I honestly appreciate that he was willing to write it and was willing to put it out there because again, it was very much against what the majority of the fan base, I know a lot of you guys too, um, you know, it was not what everyone was thinking. I appreciate that he wrote it. Again, I didn't personally agree with it, but we don't, we, we weren't, we wouldn't tell Will that he couldn't write it. I mean, obviously we would have standards for like, if you were writing something disingenuous or if we thought you were writing something just inflammatory for the fun of it, only Matt gets to write those articles. But um, no, I mean, I, I appreciated that he wrote it and, and he knew he was going to get blowback and, and he did. And it was horrible timing because Smith got fired pretty much immediately after he wrote it, but um, he didn't mean it to be clickbaity or inflammatory he just wanted to voice his opinion in the best way he could and, and i appreciate him for doing that and um i hope you'll understand that it was just his opinion he wasn't necessarily trying to do anything other than than voice what he thought his opinion was so i uh, appreciate that he was willing to do it i thought it was a good article even though i didn't personally agree with it i think he tried to lay out the case and it, it very well could have happened you know it very well could have happened um we got george costanza with the two saying, we need a coach that commands respect so much so that the players don't disregard and overrule him on a victory formation kneel down. Cough, cough, taints, cough, cough. Next year when they go victory formation, Grady should blow it up and suplex Carr. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Um, we got Nico with the five. What's up, Nico? He says, Kevin, Jordan, sorry, Jordan does left. Apologize. Um, do you guys have any red lines when deciding on your preferred head coach candidate? For example, if one of them insisted on Terry leaving or so much control that his position became untenable, is that a no for you? Similar for Nielsen. Thank you. Yeah. So to me, I mean, Fontenot needs to be in charge of personnel. I don't want a coach in here that's going to take over or want to kick Fontenot out. Um, so that's my one red line is I'm not willing to hire someone that's going to kick off 
Fontenot or th- or a coach that wants total control. I, I think that so rarely works out um, for the better. And I, I think the collaboration forces guys to get out of their comfort zone to, to work together with someone. Um, but, you know, other than that, I don't really have too many red lines. I mean, obviously, I don't want anyone with a sketchy past. You know, I, I, I'm not willing to hire guys with tons of baggage or anything like that. I don't think the, anyone the Falcons ha- are considering interviewing is like that. But, um, you know, I, I want a good coach. Um, and, I, and I'm willing to, to look far and wide for that coach, even if it's not one of my preferred guys. I'm willing to, to hear him out. And, and I hope that they will do a thorough search and this isn't just window dressing for hiring Bill Belichick because I think that's the one guy that I disagree with the most, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, great question there. And yeah, I, I, I would like whoever the coaches to keep Nielsen, but if they hire a defensive coach, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so that it just is what it is. I do like Nielsen. I like the staff they've assembled on defense. I hope those guys stick around, but it's really up to whether they go for the offensive guy, which is my personal preference, or they go for, uh, more of the, the, the defensive guy and he's probably going to bring in his own staff we do have rab muhammad with the four with the five dollar donation but i don't see a question rab if you did have one um put it in the chat or just let me know um next time and i'll, I'll get to you i apologize i don't see any message attached so if you meant to leave one throw it in the chat and i'll try to get to it here um just a couple more here guys appreciate all the donations honestly oh yeah i think the uh the donation thing disappeared Okay, there we go. Yeah. Whoa. Didn't mean to do that. Stop it. Stop moving. Stop moving around. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This thing is persnickety. I try to click on, I try to lock everything so I can't accidentally move stuff. But um all right. Yes. So next one from Jeffrey Miller with the five dollars. Thanks, Jeffrey. He says, I feel like I'm not leaning towards any um of of the of the top guys like Johnson. My favorite is probably Mike McDaniel, um, and Brandon, am I blanking out on who Brandon is? I probably am. Um, but yeah, I think you're saying you, you probably are the biggest favorite towards Mike McDaniel or Mike, Mike McDonald, excuse me. And that's not, I mean, Mike McDonald's done a tremendous job with the Ravens this year. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that develops. Um, we got Corey Carter with the five. Thanks, Corey. He says, Tell me how you come to a collaborative decision on a quarterback with the questionable past and who loves massage as well. You know, Corey, uh, there's a lot of variables. No, I'm just kidding. Art Smith wasn't involved with that, allegedly. Um, I mean, that that's why you have to question Blank and, and how involved should he be because the Falcons almost made a critical mistake there, obviously, with that uh, <laughs> with that potential move for Deshaun Watson. We'll just count, count our blessings every day we didn't make that move. Um, so... We got George Costanza with the $2 for the last one of the night, guys. He says, I know we'll have months to talk draft takes, but I'm all for Atlanta trading up to number one to take Caleb Williams. He could be our Joe Burrow. All we need is the right guy under center to own this division for 10 years. Give Chicago three number ones and a fourth to go up. Screw it. Yeah, I mean, it might take that, uh, depending on what the bidding's like. But I do certainly like Caleb Williams. I, I, I guess I'd have to watch more of him. And again, I'm like a quarterback vibe scouter. Like, I don't really get super into the quarterback scouting i'm just that's just not my forte but you know i i do like williams i like drake may i like jane daniels i like michael Penix. those are probably the guys that i would strongly consider you know i think if they could stay put or make a small trade up and get jane daniels i might slightly prefer that to trading the farm for caleb williams but again you know how do you know where these guys are going to fall who's going to go where 
what have you. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I mean, we, we're definitely gonna get to the draft takes. Don't worry about that. We got Senior Bowl coming up too. Thanks again to everyone for donating tonight. I know we we got uh, over over thirty three percent of the way now. I did include the donations from um, the half of last month and everything too, so we should be updated here. I don't I don't know that it's accurately tabulating the super chat ones from YouTube, so I'll try to see if I can get those added in. I might just have to add, manually add them at some point, but. Thank you guys so much for that. Thank you guys for hanging out with us here tonight on the Falcolic Live. 270 episodes in. Um, just really happy to be here with you guys. That's the best part of this Falcons team this season has been hanging out with the fans. Um, Corey Carter, no, I don't think we can get Penix in the second. I don't think so. I think he's going to be a mid to late first guy, maybe even top 10 if someone falls in love. I, he's a very good quarterback. It's just the injury history. So again, that could be the great equalizer, right? If the injury history is terrible, maybe he could be in the second, but I, I have no way of knowing um, how serious all that is. And we probably won't know until somebody leaks reports, honestly. But guys, thank you so much. Appreciate all of you for hanging out tonight. Um, and And we'll see as we get through all this stuff, as we get through the coaching search over the next couple of weeks, as we get into senior bowl free agency all that stuff <laughs> Corey, did i forget did i regret my vacation timing i definitely missed out on some banger shows right i mean we would have had uh i feel like that that post game for the saints game would have really popped off uh for sure so <laughs> and then that firing show i'm sure would have been uh, a banger as well but no i mean it, that's that's the time we could go uh it used to work out great because it was after the season was over um, and the Falcons weren't making the playoffs typically, so it was it was the perfect time to go on vacation. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean I, I had this typically the week because you know my, my wife is a professor, and so she starts that that next uh, this week. Basically, she starts classes, so we couldn't put it off another week. Um, but it was a great trip. Uh, enjoyed it. Historically low snow year in Big Sky, by the way, folks. But uh, still great skiing. Um, Great time. I'll post some pics. Uh, I do have a full, you know, red and black ski loadout, of course, um, you know, to rep, to rep the birds uh, while we're out there. But yeah, good trip. Um, definitely was a, a rather unfortunate timing with how busy the last week was, but we got a show for you guys here. Appreciate all 250 of you guys or whatever that was hanging out tonight. Uh, appreciate everyone for donating. Like, subscribe. Uh, leave that five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. We're going to be back to two to three episodes a week, probably in the offseason. We'll see what that schedule looks like. Um, probably at least through like the draft-ish, we'll have two episodes a week for you. And then, of course, we'll have that live coverage for you at the Senior Bowl. Uh, appreciate everyone for donating to that. And then, uh, yeah, we'll we'll have more of that off-season stuff. We'll have some live mocks. We'll have some, some patron and channel member type stuff coming as well. We're working on that. Um, so stay tuned for those updates too. But for now, we'll be back next week uh, with more episodes for you guys. We'll be back on Wednesday going forward, of course. And until then, I uh, appreciate everyone for hanging out. Appreciate for surviving this 2023 season uh, with us here on the Falcoholic and the Falcoholic Live Dirty Birds of Bruce podcast. Let's uh, let, let's hope 2024 brings some some better stuff because that, that was a rough one, right? It's a rough season. But thank you guys so much for your time. Have a great night. We'll see you next time on the Falcoholic Live. I'm Kevin Knight of Falcoholic Kevin. The site is the Falcoholic. The podcast is Dirty Birds and Brews. Until next time, guys, have a great night. See ya.